You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. Yeah, so 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through to 12. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you too. Great, thank you, Jack. Uh, Slightly less of a walk for me now to to get up and speak, so uh, that's a relief. Let me uh, pray for us, and we'll dive in there. Father God, we, we thank you so much that we have the treasure of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, what, what an astonishing gift. What a responsibility. Oh Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you give courage to our hearts? Would you give us boldness? Would you give us clarity? Would you give us a compassion for the lost, a desire to see your glorious good news go out and lives be transformed? Help us to understand your role in that and ours. And help us to bow the knee in obedience. Help us to extend the hand of friendship to those around us. And help us to proclaim your good news with incredible boldness. Amen. Well, imagine that you suddenly get the urge to go. You need to use the facilities. And so you head out the door at the back. Uh, and you look uh, to go to find the toilets. If you're interested, the, the gents are on this floor, the ladies are upstairs and downstairs. But as you get to the staircase, you smell something strange. Not very odd to smell something strange in Central Hall. We all smell something strange. But this time, it's a little bit more strange than usual because the strange smell is the smell of um, smoke. And it's wafting from downstairs. And so you, you head down the stairs and you, you take a look And you see smoke billowing out of the bin store. You you take a look inside, and inside, the wheelie bin is on fire. It's an inferno. What do you do? Well, I very much hope you'll come upstairs, and then maybe you'll find uh, Tessa at the back and and say, Tessa, Tessa, come, come. You've got to take a look. And she says, shh, Ralph's speaking. 
He's just getting to the interesting part. And you say, no, 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 you've got to come and see, you've got to come and see, quick. Shh. So you move to Matt. Uh, Matt, Matt, you've you, you got to come and take a look, see what's happening. Not now, not now, I'm busy, I'm busy. What do you do then? What do you do then? You, you've been rebuffed by everyone. What do you do? Well, I really hope that you will shout. You've got to get out. You've got to leave the building. We're in mortal danger. That's what I hope you do. Well, if what the Bible says is true... And here at City Church, we do believe it's true in its entirety. If what the Bible says is true, then the world around us is in mortal danger. We've rebelled against the God who made us. We have cut ourselves off from the very source of life itself. And we are heading towards an eternity of judgment. That's what the Bible tells us. That is the reality And so we really need to tell people about that. The problem is, of course, that people just don't believe it. They think it's laughable. We live in a city of 2.8 million people. Get your head around that. And yet over 96% of them do not think that they have any need for Jesus Christ. The idea of heaven and hell of eternal judgment, of a God who loves them, well, well, they find that utterly laughable. That's medieval. That's bigoted. And that can leave those of us who are Christians feeling, feeling utterly discouraged. The Apostle Paul, who, who wrote the letter that Jack has just read from, the second letter to the Corinthians, he knew what it felt like to be utterly discouraged. He knew what it was like to be mocked, to be beaten, to be flogged, to be, to be hit with, with poles, to be stoned, because he told others the good news of Jesus. And as he writes to this young church in Corinth, having experienced that himself, he wants to strengthen them for when they experience the same thing themselves. And, and look at what he says at the start, verse 1. Therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this gospel ministry, we do not lose heart. Gospel ministry, this, this, this role of sharing the good news of Jesus, it is worth it. And, and Paul gives us two reasons why it is worth it here in this passage that we've got in front of us. Reason number one, because sharing the gospel works. Reason number two, because it works through ordinary and unimpressive people. So first up, sharing the gospel works. Uh, Look at verses one to six. Now, when we worry about looking foolish, when we worry about people laughing at us or or making fun of us when we share the good news of Jesus, we can be tempted to go down two different routes. Route number one is to just completely stop sharing the gospel at all. People make fun of us, we're just not going to do it. But the second option is not to give up on evangelism altogether, but to give up on authentic evangelism and to turn to inauthentic evangelism instead. So so we're still active. We still look like we're doing something, but we're using the wrong methods 
and using the wrong message. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 2 when he describes using secret and shameful ways and deception. He's talking there about our methods in evangelism. When we face rejection, it's tempting to resort to methods which are wrong but lessen the pain and lessen the risk for ourselves. What do I mean? Well, one wrong method in evangelism is what I like to call the, the vomit approach to evangelism. The vomit approach. I wonder if you've ever come across that. I wonder whether you've actually done that yourself. The vomit approach to evangelism happens when, um, when we become very self-conscious. When we think, well, you know, I've been a Christian a very long time. I've been a Christian 10, 15, 20 years. And I haven't shared the gospel with anyone for ages. It's been years before I've got to share the gospel with anyone. And, you know, I say I'm a Christian. How can I be a Christian if I don't ever share the good news of Jesus? Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I need to share the gospel, otherwise my salvation's at risk. Now, when we start to think like that, when we become inward focused and make it all about ourselves rather than about others, what happens? Well, the next morning we get into the, to the office or the school and people ask us, well, what did you do over the weekend? And we think, now's my chance. Well, I was at church yesterday and I heard all about the fact that we're all sinners heading for the judgment of God. We need to repent and believe immediately. You need to be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you'll be all right. Now, that is true. That is faithful. But it's driven by guilt, not love. Another approach, another wrong method in evangelism to try and avoid the pain, to avoid the risk, is covert evangelism. You ever done that? It's early December. You've seen all the notices from up front at City Church about the carol services coming up. This is your great evangelistic opportunity. And you think, well, I better invite someone because everyone else is inviting someone. So you get into the office, you get to the school gate, and you decide to start inviting people. The only problem is you don't quite invite them to a carol service. Now, you say... We've got a carol concert happening. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be a choir. We're going to be singing all your favorite carols. There's even going to be someone there with a harp. It's going to be beautiful, the most beautiful experience you've ever had. You forget to mention that it's a church service, and there's going to be a 15-minute talk introducing them to Jesus. When sharing the good news of Jesus, we need to be absolutely above board with people. We mustn't pretend that it's something other than what it is in order to avoid rejection. Can I say, that is why we're having this conversation here today on a Sunday. I know that among you are a good number of people who are not yet Christians. You are just looking into things. You might think it's a little bit odd for me to be speaking about how we share the good news of Jesus with people who aren't yet Christians. Well, the reason we're doing this with you present is because we want to be above board. We're not pretending that we're just a social community, just a club. Okay, that, that's not what we're about. We love you. 
We love you and we desperately want you to hear the good news about Jesus. That is what we are all about as a church. We must not resort to deceptive methods to pretending we're doing something that we're not. And let us never distort the message either. Uh, Look at the second half of verse two. Nor do we distort the word of God. It's really tempting to do that today, isn't it? We live in a consumer society. And a consumer society tells us, well, if the product is not selling, then you better change it. So in a city of 2.8 million people where we're less than 100,000 and believe in the good news of Jesus, maybe the problem is that the good news of Jesus needs to change. But we cannot change the gospel because the gospel is not a product that can be reinvented. The gospel is God's eternal word to our ever-changing world. We didn't make it up, and therefore we have absolutely no right to change it. But it is a big temptation to try and change it, isn't it? When when people say to us, "But, but surely mankind is basically good. It's tempting to compromise, isn't it? Or when people say, you're not telling me that I'm going to hell, are you? We're tempted to go soft, to to distort the word of God. But we mustn't. Verse two, instead of distorting with deceptive methods and a distorted message, we are instead to set forth the truth plainly. Knowing that as we do that, the other person's conscience will be on our side. All we need to do is to share the good news. That's the idea behind this evangelistic drinks project. We want to meet up with friends and colleagues and neighbours to have deeper level conversations where we pray that we will have an opportunity to be able to share with them clearly and persuasively the most important thing in our lives. That's what it's about. Our job is simply to get the message of the gospel out of our mouths and into the eardrums of our friends, neighbours, and colleagues. That's it. That that is all we are called on to do. The rest of it is down to God. I guess the next question, is that really enough? Is it really? Surely the fact that we uh, we face rejection time and again shows that there is something wrong with the message. Well, no. Look, Look at what Paul says. He tells us that rejection of the gospel shows us that there is something wrong with people, not with the gospel. Look at verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see what he's saying? Something is wrong with people. Paul develops the point in verse 4, telling his readers that it is the God of this age, it is Satan, the devil, who has blinded people's minds. Specifically, Satan has blinded their minds so they cannot see the glory of Christ. They, They cannot see clearly who Jesus is. 
isn't that exactly what we see happening in the world around us? We tell people about Jesus. We explain who he is. We, we, we share what he came to do, to, to die on the cross in our place, his death instead of our death. We describe the gospel in all of its beauty and majesty and glory. We explain how he's raised from the dead, bringing new life, bringing a new heavens and a new earth into being. We share it all with them, the most precious thing to us. I'm blank. Nothing. They're utterly unmoved. The message hits their eardrums, but doesn't penetrate down to their hearts. And according to the Apostle Paul, that is because Satan has blinded them. They're in darkness. I used to live up in Durham in my early 20s. It's a beautiful city, and the centerpiece of the city is this incredible cathedral that just towers high above every other building in Durham. Now, at night time, there are floodlights around the cathedral that light it up. It looks incredible. I really recommend visiting it. But sometimes, sometimes the floodlights of the cathedral pack up. And when that happens, the cathedral is shrouded in darkness, barely visible. In fact, you can actually walk right past the cathedral when the floodlights are not on, and you won't even know it's there. Of course, it is still there in all of its beauty and grandeur, but because the lights are off, you cannot see it. It isn't visible to the human eye. Well, that is much what, like what we see happening when we share the good news of Jesus with people. We present it in its full grandeur and all its beauty. It, it is marvelous. It's incredible. It's the best news in the world. But our friends just don't see it. The light is switched off. Their hearts are shrouded in darkness. They need the floodlights to be switched on. And that is what only God can do. Look at verse 6. Paul is saying here that the same power that worked in creation is now working in us to overcome our willful blindness so that we're able to see Jesus for who he really is. Now, the word translated glory here in verse 6, it refers to the essence of who God is. What, what God would be like if only we could see him. And so Paul is saying, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in the good news of the gospel, we have God most fully and completely revealed to us. Have you recognized that today? Do you want to know God? Do you want to know what God is really like? Well, look at Jesus. Do you see that you've rebelled against God? Do you long for a way back to him? Have you seen that the only way back is through Jesus' death in your place, taking the punishment that you deserve? Well, if you have then that is because of verse 6. God, by his Spirit, has overcome your willful blindness. God has come in all of his full light, the light that came in creation, and brought light to your darkened heart and soul. That is what has happened. And friends, that is why prayer is so, so, so very important. 
I became a Christian 27 years ago. And it was a miracle. God overcame my willful blindness. And it was willful. He shined his light into my heart. Yes, yes, my friend Matthew shared the gospel with me. Other people shared the gospel with me. That is how the good news of the gospel hit my eardrums. But it only reached my heart in response to the prayers of Matthew and lots of other Christian friends that I've made. And that is why we're so committed to praying over the coming months. As you invite your friends and your neighbours and your colleagues out for evangelistic drinks. Make sure we don't just be activists, just, just be going out and sharing the gospel with whoever we can. We need to remember our job is to do that, but God's job is to open those blind eyes, to, to unlock those hardened hearts. Therefore, we need to be equally praying. So as you think about who to invite out for an evangelistic drink, make sure you fill out that evil. We want to be praying for you. We want to be asking God, pleading with God to do what only he can do shining his light of salvation into the hearts of those we love. We do not lose heart because the gospel works. So we speak and we pray. Secondly, we do not lose heart because God uses ordinary, unimpressive people. People like you, people like me. Uh, take a look at verse 7. We have this treasure, that's talking about the gospel, the knowledge of God and the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was really excited, but I was also slightly embarrassed about who the other Christians were. We're not a very impressive bunch, are we? And so I thought in all my kind of Christian youthful arrogance... Well, wouldn't it be great if one of the really impressive people became a Christian? Wouldn't it be great if, um, you know, Stephen Hawking or, or Kylie Minogue or Stephen Fry became a Christian? Then, then suddenly we'd have credibility. Then, then people would believe me. They'd be impressed. But of course, that's not true. And it is not the way that God works. No, he doesn't work through impressive people. He has chosen to use jars of clay. Now, in the first century, jars of clay, they weren't the, the beautiful table ornaments fired in the kilns of the Ancoats mills that we enjoy today. In jars of clay, they would simply throw away containers. They were the ancient equivalent of a, a, a jiffy bag that you mail something in. So what Paul is saying here is that we Christians, we are like jiffy bags to carry the gospel. We are unremarkable, we are unimportant, we are unimpressive. And because of that, because we are unimpressive, people's attention is not on us, but goes on to Jesus instead. So when a person is saved, it should be perfectly obvious where the power lies. It's not in our powers of persuasion, it is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But that's what Paul is saying here. Now look at verse 8. Paul continues. Verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, 
but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Uh, This past week, it was uh, my wife Anna's birthday, uh, and we received a number of presents in the post for her. And it was fun because, you know, the presents got delivered by DPD Royal Mail, and they came, and lots of them came in jiffy bags. And as you, you held the jiffy bag with the present in it, you could work out what it was. Because most of them were kind of these thin, flimsy jiffy bags that just kind of dropped in the hands, which showed that they were an item of clothing, and most of the presents were items of clothing. You see, jiffy bags always take the shape of their contents, don't they? And so too should Christians. That's why, as as Jack and I have been trying to explain, that's why evangelism isn't just for professionals. It's not just for people who who are really good at speaking, really good at persuading, who, who know their Bibles really, really well. No, evangelism is for ordinary Christians who are willing to step out and to suffer in order to share Christ with others. We're spiritual jiffy bags. Um, Oswald Sanders told the story of an Indian evangelist. Now, now this evangelist, he was, he was penniless, he was barefoot, but he loved the gospel. He knew himself saved, and he desperately wanted everyone else in the surrounding area to hear the good news of Jesus for themselves. He didn't want anyone to miss out. So, so one day, he headed off to a, a remote Indian village up in the hills. He was tired. It was the end of the day. He, he got to, to just outside the village, and he thought to himself, should I walk in there tonight and, and preach the gospel tonight, or, or should I just stay outside and wait and, and give it a go tomorrow morning? And he, he thought to himself, well, well, they'll be tired tonight, and so they'll probably listen tonight, and so I'm going to go in, I'm going to share it with them tonight. And so he, he walks into the village, and with all the energy he can muster, he stands up, he lifts his voice, and he tells them about Jesus, the good news that Jesus came to save sinners like them. And there is no response whatsoever, zip, nothing, nothing at all. Just hostility and mockery, and they drive him out of the village. And he leaves. He walks down the road. He's exhausted. He lays down under a tree. And he's so tired that he falls right to sleep. And about dusk time, he suddenly wakes up. And there's a big mob of people all around him. And the chief of the town comes forwards towards him. And he's scared to death. He thinks that they're going to kill me right at this moment. And the chief of the village says, "Um, we came out to see what sort of a man you were. And we found you asleep. And when we saw your bloodied feet... And realized that you had come a long way to tell us this news, we decided 
that you must be a holy man and we would like you to finish what you started telling us earlier today. That's it. That is what Paul is describing here in verses 10 to 12. Paul and that Indian missionary, they became like the message of the gospel that they wanted to carry. Paul incarnated the gospel. Paul revealed God's glory. He confirmed the message in the suffering and the pain and the mockery that he was willing to endure in order to share the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife Anna, her her grandma passed away many years ago now. But I really, really remember Grandma Sheila's 80th birthday. And Grandma Sheila, she, she's a very bold, confident, forthright woman. And she decided for her 80th birthday, she wanted, um, uh, she wanted a big party, a big dinner party. And she wanted to invite the whole family to this dinner party. Now, now most of Anna's uh, family, extended family, aren't, aren't Christians. But Grandma Sheila wanted this opportunity. And she got up at the end of the meal and she gave a speech about herself. And she started by saying, my life is divided into two halves. Up until the age of 40, I lived with no idea that there was such a thing as a God and not really knowing who Jesus was at all. And then the next 40 years, from 40 to 80, I've lived following Jesus. And it's been incredible. And I want to tell you tonight on my 80th birthday how that happened. You've got to imagine, there's a room of 25 people, most of whom aren't Christians, and she gives her testimony. She said, I was was living near Oxford, and, and one day a young man came to my door. He rang the bell and I opened it. And he stood there on the doorstep, shaking. He tried to open his mouth and just stammered. I tried to encourage him to speak, but he couldn't get a word out at all. And then he just thrust a leaflet into my hand, turned around, walked down the garden path, shut the gate, and I never saw him again. And this is how Grandma Sheila put it. I thought to myself, if this young man was willing to go through all of that shame and do something which is so deeply uncomfortable to him just to give me this flyer, then whatever is on it must be worth reading. And so she read it. It was an evangelistic flyer. And at the end of it, it had an invite along to church. That following Sunday, she went along to church. She went back week after week after week. And several months later, she put her trust in Jesus. That, my friends, that is how God works. This world expects victory to come through a mighty warrior. And yet victory came through a lowly carpenter. We expect salvation to come through strength, yet salvation came through a display of the ultimate weakness. We look for wisdom that impresses the world. But we were given wisdom that seems like foolishness to the world. We think that true life comes through ease and and comfort and fun, But the cross of Jesus Christ shows us that true life can only come through the pain, mockery, and injustice of what God himself took upon himself. That is what was necessary to save us. That is the heart of the gospel. 
And God's chosen way of taking that good news out is through ordinary people like you and I. Showing that we love people by taking a risk. By being willing to be mocked, by being willing to to freeze on the doorstep and not know what to say. That is how God takes out his message of salvation through weakness, of life through death, of glory through humility. He does it through people like you and I saying to our colleague tomorrow, would you like to go out for a drink later this week? I'd love to share with you what is most important to me in my life. Will you do that? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. You've shown us that the way up is to go down. That true glory is found in weakness. That life can only come through death. That the only way to have everything is to give everything up. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray you would give us boldness and courage to take out that glorious good news of the gospel. We pray that you would empower us, that we would know that the gospel is not simply good news for us, but good news for others. And the gospel is the very thing that enables us to take risks, trusting in your power at work through the weak vessels, through the jars of clay that we ourselves are.